hello and welcome to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. My name is Bianca Woolwick and I'm the host. I interview my friends and people that inspire me to figure out if they have the key to life and they feel successful or feel like they don't fit in like I do. Anyway, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. just wanted to do some housekeeping before we hop into the episode. Um, I'm very thrilled and for the first time in a long time can say that I'm absolutely proud to be an American. I feel like I was able to exercise my democratic right to vote. I feel like I was heard. I feel like the nation spoke volumes. Um, and on my podcast, I always say that unpopular opinions are fine as long as they don't hurt anyone else. And I'm glad that we have gotten rid of someone out of office that can no longer hurt so many people. Um, anyway, I don't try to get overly political on my podcast, so I'll just leave it there. But my guest this week is Michael Foster, and he is a uh, co-author slash author and an art director. And he starts a conversation with me halfway through this where we talk about 9-11 and the patriotism afterwards and how we all came together. So I think it's a really timely episode to release and I'm excited to release it. As always, all of the links, everything that we do discuss will be in the body of the podcast. Um, and if you would like to record an episode with me, I am now taking interviews. Thank you guys so much for all of your support while I was taking a brief hiatus on interviews. Those are opened back up. I'm starting interviews tomorrow and I'm going to continue them until people no longer want to be on this. But thank you guys for your interest. And if you do want to be a podcast guest, please email pdkmopodcast at gmail.com. And if you've been a longtime listener and a longtime subscriber and someone that has enjoyed the podcast and you've not yet rated me on Apple Podcasts, please do so. I really appreciate it. You're helping me out. Anyways, guys, please enjoy the episode. And Biden Harris 2020. Hey, how's it going? Hey, how you doing? I am doing all right. I believe it is Friday. Of course, I have no idea anymore. All day. It's Friday all day. That's the rumor <laughs> anyway. I know, right? I don't even know what month it is. I know it's still 2020 because I'm always reminded that it's 2020. But otherwise, everything else is just a blur. <laughs> I agree with you. To my listeners, this is, of course, Please Don't Pick Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. And the lovely voice you're hearing on the other end of this line is Michael Foster. So, Michael, can you give me your 30,000-foot overview, your elevator pitch, who you are, what you do, etc.? Well, that's, that's definitely a topic for a panel discussion because I've, <laughs> I've been in the arts and design and just anything involving the artistic world now for over 20 years. Um, really, I actually started professionally when I was only 14. I got my first gig doing a, a series of children's uh, menus for a chain of restaurants in Texas, which just sounds like Mad Lips. Like how, but then again, doesn't everything nowadays? Um, <laughs> everything sounds so random. Um, so basically, over the last 20 years, I've, I've had a very steady career as a graphic designer and art director. Um, I've written articles for the Huffington Post and Psychology Today with my friend, Russell C. Smith. And I'm also an artist and a painter, and I'm part of the Chicago arts community. So that, those are kind of the main things. I've also worked in video. I have, I'm always spinning a dozen different projects, but if the, if the big, uh, the big uh, what do they call it, the, the bird's eye view is, I, I do all that, the end. <laughs> That's it. 
Yeah, I'm a little bit jealous because I did go to uh, college for art and uh, it just, uh, I'm no longer as creative as I'd like to be. However, I, I definitely respect graphic designs, art direction, all of that, working in advertising in my past and definitely think there's a huge need for it. So I'm really excited to talk to you definitely about um, both your art background and your agency background as well as your book that you wrote with your friend. So um, you uh, reached out to me through the matchmaker, of course, uh, Use this joke many, many times. Matchmaker.fm. It is not a dating site. It is, of course, for podcasters, by podcasters to reach out for guests. And uh, it was actually a really humbling email to get. I saw in my inbox. I was like, oh, awesome. Like, you, you didn't reach out to me on there. You actually, like, straight up emailed me, which I really appreciated. Because usually, if it's a weird system, because if I get a message, I then have to log into it and then read the message. So you took that away and I had it on my phone. That was easier for me. So I appreciated that so much. Um, but uh, I'm really excited to talk to you definitely. And I uh, think that imposter syndrome, it definitely rears its ugly head for people in the creative industry. But I'm finding that this is just such a human emotion for everyone, this feeling of fraud, this feeling of being found out to be a fraud, um, but especially in anything creative. Right, exactly. And you know, it's funny, it's like, my wife and I are both artists. And she, she's an incredible painter and artist. I'm always saying I'm just trying to keep up. She, she's amazing. And, and we, so it was interesting because in the beginning of our relationship, you know, as artists, you're kind of emotional, you're kind of touchy. And you had that, you know, that part where you're trying to understand each other a little bit. And people always say, you're both artists. How does that work? We're like, I don't know, it just seems to work. And as we've gotten older over time, the, what would have been a detriment, both of you being artists, um, becomes actually very, very, uh, very, very much an asset because you understand each other's sensibilities because you have them yourself. And that really helped to, in the process of trying to figure things out. And I also think that there's a great line in the movie Lost in Translation back uh, in 2003 uh, when Bill Murray gets asked, like, does it get any easier just about life? And he says, well, you know, the more you know who you are and what you want, the less you let things upset you. And I can say that the one nice thing, and I don't know, I'm sure what your demographic is in terms of age group, as you get older, it does get easier if you follow that guideline. I'm 44 now, and I can tell you, the 24-year-old version, the 24 -year -old version of myself, the 34-year-old version of myself was way more antsy, paranoid, schizo, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's, it does get easier when you get older. And that's, and I think time is critical. So I think for a lot of people right now, who like they're, they're, especially now in 2020, things are so crazy. They, they're not sure who they are, what's going on. It's okay. Just give yourself time. And that, oh, I think yeah. that's the most important thing. Because mm -hmm. even too, as you, as you get older, you start accumulating some hurts. You know, we've had friends of ours who've passed away, a couple, you know, take them their own life and stuff, just through family circumstances, just different things. Not a lot, but just enough. And you always say to yourself, man, you know, like if they just gave themselves another few months, just gave yourself a little bit more time, you'll get, you'll get through it. You'll get past it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very important message. I mean, it sounds, a lot of these sort of like old truths always sound a little bit cliche, but then when you live them and you start to acquire experiences, you start to realize, no, no, there, you start to realize the significance and importance of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think like it's it's funny when I was in my twenties, 
um, you know, people being like, oh, just wait till your 30s. You know so much more. And now that I'm in my 30s, people are like, just wait till your 40s. If you think your 30s are great, your 40s are better. And, um, it, but I found that as I've gotten older, you know, and the more that I've leaned into being myself, the more I've leaned into uh, what makes me unique, what drives my soul, my passions, etc. That has actually done a lot for my mental health to just, you know, live authentically has been very, very helpful. Um, my husband and I couldn't be more opposite in terms of uh, creativity. I'm, I'm the creative one. I'm the person that dresses like Miss Frizzle. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one that has rainbows everywhere. If my husband had his way, it would be very utilitarian. When we, when we first started dating, like, he didn't even have a comforter. Like he had a, he had a quilt and he slept with that. And, and he's, you know, very, was very militant, so to speak, very bachelor life. Um, and I was just like very loud and, and boisterous and had my own style and my own stuff. And, and over time he's kind of changed his tune. He realizes like, Oh, like the mid mod furniture look that you like is actually quite nice. Oh, like we need this because we have this gotcha. And he used to be very utilitarian where it's like, well, we have a couch why do we need a new one? Or we, we have the table already. Like there's no sense getting a new one. Um, so over time, you know, we've, we've kind of grown into like what makes us unique and kind of what works for us. So I was just thinking about that when you were talking about your wife and you both being artists, if I was to ask my husband to draw me a picture, like he drew me a line. I was like, draw a picture of me, and he drew like a straight line. Well, that's like, very Andy Warhol. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's how you got to look at it. That's, that's very cool, you know? Yeah. You know, I, honestly, it's funny because like, because the, the thing is, is that what you experience, the opposites attract sort of a thing. I mean, that's really, that's the norm. Because when you find somebody you want to spend the rest of your life with, you're hoping they'll fulfill sort of a certain part that you just, you can't access. Mm -hmm. You know, for, for, for Jay and I, my wife's name is Jamie, so I always call her Jay. Um, as I always hate the thing, my wife, it sounds like, I don't know, I, I guess I was, whatever, I, I always think that you call someone like that, it's like property, it's like, no, I mean, she's just Jamie, we've been in, we've known each other for 30 years, she's just, mm -hmm. just this like intricate, you know, integral part of my life, and for us, there were definitely differences, because I tended to be more technical, I, it's, it's especially shows in the art too, I'm more, um, I'm the gamer of the, of the group. I'm always playing video games. Uh, my wife is very much into the natural world. So in terms of our sensibilities, like she, she likes to go on nature walks. She likes to go kayaking. I'd be playing Persona 5 all night like, <laughs> on the PS4. So we do have our differences, which I think is important because you always have to have some of that. But in our, in our case, like both of us being artists actually turned out to be such a, a great benefit and, and help us kind of figure things out about ourselves because we would see in ourselves in, in the other person like oh I, I do that i get that okay that makes sense now and so yeah. that's and which is but i think that always happens in every relationship in some way or another and even in life even with like family or friends siblings you know you, there's always you you discover aspects of yourself uh in other people and that's how you start to recognize certain patterns or certain things you know it's funny i was listening to like the other day there was a there was a wonderful podcast um Sorry to promote another podcast, but it was actually, it was really interesting because this kind of came up on something I was listening to yesterday. Uh, it's called the Business Success Japan podcast. Um, I actually speak a little Japanese. It's been kind of like one of my hobbies over the last few years. It's just like, oh, I'm really into Japanese culture. I'm going to go serious. I'm going to give myself a doctorate program <laughs> in learning everything about Japanese culture, emphasizing in post-World War II. And this one guy, I, he was from the, I wish I could remember his name and I'll have to, I'll have to look it up. Um, 
but he, he was from the Netherlands. He moved to Japan. And he always talked about how a lot of people who are foreigners who moved to Japan, you know, they suffer from imposter syndrome. And so this word came up and I knew like, oh, I got to mention this in, the, in this podcast because this is important. Because simply put, especially in Japanese culture, you are always going to be a gaijin. You're always going to be a foreigner. And no matter how much you know, you'll never be Japanese. There's always mm-hmm. going to be that wall. And so a lot of people suffer from imposter syndrome, like, because there is that barrier. Mm-hmm. And I always think that once again, too, the old adage going, just give yourself time. A lot of times I feel like if you're really experiencing that right now, um, it's just because you're in transition. When, yeah. when Russell and I used to write the, when we wrote the articles for Huffington Post and Psychology Today, it was all about reinvention and how technology was pushing reinvention. And what we used, the, what we used to always preach was, is that you are reinventing yourself and you're always doing it. You don't realize it. And sometimes you're doing it more um, accelerated than other times. And so a lot of this sort of anxiety that you feel inside of yourself is really just because you're moving. Once again, your, your idea or your vision of yourself is moving from point A to point B. You're, you're just in transition right now. And so part of it is, is to allow yourself that transition, that it's okay that I don't have everything dialed in right now. Because truth is, you'll never have everything dialed in, no matter, no matter what. If you think you have, the moment you think you have everything dialed in, forget it. You, you're going to, life will, will kick you in the pants and then you're going you're gonna to realize how much you don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of, there's a beauty into how all that works, I find. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But that, but that, that idea of not being completely settled, of always trying to reinvent yourself, and the way we talked about it was you always need to have new experiences. If you're not sure who you are and what you're doing, do something new. You know, there's, and that sounds once again, cliche, but the fact of the matter is, is we define ourselves by our experiences, by the people we know, Mm -hmm. by the world around us. And so if you find yourself stuck, you need to go out and do something new. (laughs) You need to go out and figure something out. Follow a pursuit that you've always wanted to follow. Do something to shift your perception. And a lot of times that that's all you, that's what, that's the anxiety really is, it's just trying to build up that momentum to go and find something new to pursue. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it's really interesting, especially like given the pandemic, you touched on something that I do want to bring up, which uh, when you were talking about the Japanese thing, I've got a friend, he took Japanese all through college and he moved to Japan to teach English. Um, and now he works for an American company, well, a subset of an American company where they produce whatever they're doing in Japan. It's like a baseball like glove or hat company. I don't remember what he said about it. And he's been listening to my podcast since day one. One, because I've been friends with him since we were in high school. He was the first date I ever went on with, 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 was with my friend Jimmy. And, uh, and we're, and we've been good friends. Um, and I was reading in some of your answers, you know, talking about like losing a friend. Um, one of our best friends we lost. So like that, that's always been a bond for him and I, uh, but anyway, he moved to Japan. He met a girl and they got married and they live on this little island off of Japan somewhere. And he says, gosh, I feel it every single day. He's like, I'm making decisions because I'm the one that speaks the best English. He was like, but I, he's like, even I'm married to a Japanese woman and I still feel it. Like he's, he's like, he's like, he's like, I could have been born in Japan. I'd still feel that way. Like truly that's, that's a very common thing. It's actually, I've heard it quite a bit about Japanese is that like, there's something about that barrier of like not being Japanese and I'm moving to Hawaii so that that's similar too, where if you're not like, you can be from, you can be Hawaiian, of course, you can be, you can be born from Hawaii, but if you're not, you're not actually Hawaiian, if you don't have the 
ancestral roots. And so you can't really claim that you're Hawaiian Hawaiian. So there's, it's interesting kind of how cultures have kind of made it, even though you are somewhat accepted, you still feel like an outsider. Um, and it, that's just an interesting phenomenon. So I wanted to touch on that. But to go back to your point of like, wanting to vibrate into another plane and, and basically if you're feeling stuck that you need to have change like I think a great example of that right now for me in my life has been getting laid off like people are so quick to be like oh like you got laid off like that's so sad I'm like no it's not like it it was like if I'd stayed in that job like I, yeah it's a bummer that I like lost my job like many other Americans but had I stayed in that job I was already looking for other positions had I stayed in that job I wouldn't have been happy and I would have eventually come to the same conclusion that I either needed to be laid off or leave the position or take a sabbatical. Like that was how stressed out I was. And it's, it does sometimes feel like a place of privilege for me because I wake up every day, I'm doing something creative. I enjoy what I'm doing. This is my passion project. This is my 2020 portfolio. And, um, but I also feel like, uh, for me, if I feel stuck somewhere, that just makes so much imposter syndrome. It makes me feel so much imposter syndrome because I've found kind of that when your soul is telling you, like if you're doing something so against what your your soul and the universe is telling you to do, and I know that sounds hippy dippy, really like that manifests into everything. You get the Sunday scaries, you have a lot of anxiety, you don't feel right, like you feel this existential, existential dread. And, um, and maybe that was just me, but I've just kind of realized that the more I've leaned into my authenticity, myself, and then doing things that bring me joy, that that's the best I've ever felt in my life. Now, that just you. I, I think, well, you know, once again, the old saying goes, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So a lot of people found themselves in March and April of this year just, you know, kind of dumbstruck. This is a once in a lifetime situation. I don't know what you want to call it because there's so many situations happening at once. I mean, oh yeah, you know, there's a great meme. Like I wanted to live through the Great Depression and the you know the Civil Rights era and like you know climate change, but you know not all at once. But beggars can't be choosers. You know, all these little sarcastic memes that go flying around. Um, even like, and, and my wife and I will admit, like our situation, honestly, we're very very fortunate and very lucky right now. Yeah, that you know. I'd survived the dot-com crash okay mm -hmm. at best, and the Great Recession was really, really tough on us. I was in, you know, we were in a really, really tough situation there. And then, so we spent the last you know, 10 years kind of rebuilding, and then now we're, we're still staying even keel, which is mm -hmm. great, you know? I work for a great company. Uh, my wife uh, does, we, we do all these different projects. She did this thing called Postcards for a Pandemic, where for, just a little bit of money, you know, she'd send you a four by six postcard she painted and she, that went really, really well. She, she couldn't keep up with demand. Um, but, but we found ourselves doing a lot of just side projects because yeah. no matter what, there's all this anxiety. Like I think, you know, we're, we're trying to go for like best quarantine ever. We shot a movie in May, in April and May <laughs> called Life in Purgatory because, oh my gosh. well, it all started because we thought it'd be fun. Let's start cheering people up. There was this Domo costume. I don't know who Domo is. Domo yeah, is I the do. mascot. Yeah, <laughs> for, for, for the listeners who don't, Domo is the mascot of NHK Japan, a news station. It's like, it's like Japanese BBC, which is the news station in, in London, just in case you got a young listener who does, doesn't know all this stuff. <laughs> a lot of acronyms are throwing at you. So we got this costume, like 20 bucks, best 20 bucks we ever spent. 
my wife would drive around in the convertible or in our, our Skyon XB toaster mobile, and I'd be in the costume waving at people. It was around Easter we did this, and everyone just got such a big kick out of it. And then one night, we were watching a Jim Jarmusch film. We were watching Stranger Than Paradise. And we thought, wouldn't it be fun to shoot something like this? And another friend of hers, we have a, you know, an artistic community we're always in touch with. They said, hey, listen, there's going to be this Roger Corman film festival. You should do something with it. Like, okay, that sounds great. Um, of course, I won't think it'd be like two minutes long. We ended up shooting like 20 minutes of footage. <laughs> and we wouldn't have had to edit it in time anyway to, to put it up into this film festival. But we ended up with like kind of this 15 minute sort of artsy, avant-garde, Criterion Collection-esque I don't know if it's that good, but a lot of people seem to like it. Um, film about us being in, in quarantine. And we found out that after we did that, and then we started doing all these other projects, it just kind of helped keep our own sanity a bit. Because it's, this is just, even if you're in the best possible situation right now, and if you are, you're very fortunate, it's still a lot to process every day. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is when people are stressed, then things like when we talk about imposter syndrome or we talk about just any sort of anxiety, it just goes through the roof. And I don't think you, most of us don't even realize how anxious we are until like after a while, we get kind of a bird's eye perspective and realize, oh yeah, I didn't sleep that much. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I was pretty anxious then. Mm-hmm. And I think where all this is going is, is that one of the things about American culture, especially our can-do culture, is that we don't allow ourselves a bad day. And as you get older, you realize you can have bad days and it's okay. I always say, if you have four good days and three not-so-good days a week, you're doing great. It's funny because I mentioned this concept to people before, and they say, well, you know, like, if you have a bad day, it, like, ruins your week. Like, oh, my God, like, I'm off track. Everything's going wrong. And I'm not much of a sports guy, but you know, I like the, if the, I do follow sports. I do follow baseball. Obviously we have the Cubs and Sox here in Chicago. <laughs> so yeah. there's, you can't avoid baseball. But it's funny about baseball of all the sports is that, you know, there's so many games, you're not going to win them all. You just right. got to win more than you lose. And the difference between a hitter who's in the all-star team and a hitter who's going back to the minors is only maybe a couple hits every few at-bats. It's, a, it's, it's, not, it's not this sort of do or die, very polarized um, society, everything. Everything has become very polarized. I think a lot of that has to do with technology. That's, we can get more into that later. But even like the way we view our, our life, our life is great. Our life is terrible. It's, no, it's, it's neither. It's both. It just, has to be, it just has to be better than it is bad. And you'll find that just that little bit of difference, you know, that's that's it that's really the secret yeah I think there's a a lot to be said about like gratitude right now too like um like I feel so incredibly grateful for so many things right now because like I I like I was talking to my husband about this the other day my husband's name is Scott so I'll just call him Scott I was talking to Scott the other day and uh and I said gosh like could you have a map because we we've owned our home just shy of a year um and I was like, could you imagine, thank you. I was like, could you imagine if we hadn't purchased a house? Like I would have had to have moved us because we wouldn't have renewed our lease at the place that we were living because our landlord was a slumlord. Um, but 
I was like, I was like, I would have had to move us and you would have been underway, which means that he's on a workup for the day so he's gone. I was like, you would have been, you were underway. I would have had to move us. I would have, I would have had to like figure that out. And I was like, gosh, I'm just like so glad we own our house. <laughs> so like, yeah. you know, you kind of like, it, I've also found that like negativity is not serving me really like within this pandemic. Like I've cut out negative people out of my life. I've cut out negative situations. I'm working really hard on myself. Like I've always been an advocate for mental health. I've always been an advocate for therapy, but I never myself took that step. Finally had, right, you know, right. finally went and did it. And I have an amazing therapist, shout out to Justina. She's awesome. And, and like doing all these self-improvements. And I feel like, like, you know, that when I hear someone being like, I am so bored. And it's like the pandemic. I mean, it's... It, like there's just so much, there's so much you can be doing that like you can help yourself, you know? Right. Yeah. Keeping busy and keeping momentum is really, really critical right now. I mean, that's it. Like just, and if you don't know what to do, just do something, throw a dart, like do like the Dada movement of the night. I think it was 1917, 1918. It was like, they just threw, that's how they named the art movement. They just like threw a dictionary and they pointed at something. That's what we're calling it. You know, if you're not hundred percent sure, just pick something and run with it. Yeah. You don't know until you know. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just so many people doing so many creative things right now. Like I feel like I've seen so oh, the music's much great. cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the thing about like, you know, we, we look at times of, of trying times like this and it, for many artists, some artists, they can't create right now. And that's, I get that. It's hard. But if you can, I know a lot of artists, whether you be musicians or painters or video artists, whatnot, they're putting out their best work right now because you're, you're putting your heart and soul into it. You know, a lot of artists, you, you function in your painting, it's, it's just raw emotion. And now, you, you, there's nothing but raw emotion. I mean, you're really, you, a lot of people feel this sort of need to express themselves. I think a lot of times when things are good and things are stable, you might pull back a little bit as an artist. You're like, I don't know if I should go there. I don't know if I should push it that far. Um, I mean, I grew up in the 90s when pushing things as far as I can go was kind of in, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I was the Nine Inch Nails uh, NWA generation. So we, we took it as far as you can go. And then over the last, you know, 20 years or so, I think there's been a recession a little bit. Um, and not just a financial recession, but just in terms of like culturally speaking, we, we try, you know, we, we went from, like I said, Nine Inch Nails to Coldplay. You know, that, that's, so the key to, even you 2 was pushing the buttons in the 90s. Like we, we, we've gotten a little, a little nicer, which is fine. That's a good thing. But now when there's so much social injustice, when there's so many things going wrong, you can't be the person who's just trying to gain likes on Facebook anymore. You know, that just, 10 years ago, that was a thing. I want to be liked, I want to be liked, I want to be liked. Now it's like, no, we, we got to stand for something. And as an artist, I mean, that's why you do what you do. An artist's job is to be sort of a funhouse mirror to society and make society look at itself differently than how it did before. That's what we do. We're voices of dissent. You know, at least in my history. Now, granted, if you go to like the Middle Ages, uh, you're Michelangelo, you're basically executing propaganda for the church. Really beautiful propaganda, but that's what your job was. <laughs> it wasn't until the modern art movement that you can be sort of like a voice um, that you can, you, you can push people, you can accuse people, you can, you, can, you can be a voice of dissent. And now, in a time like this, I mean, that's, artists live for moments like this. So if you're stuck right now and you're an artist, like, don't be like, do whatever you can get out there. Just paint something. Even if it's crap, just get moving. I think that's the biggest thing It's just to get moving. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really interesting guest uh, and he is a 
consult, I want to say he's a consultant for creativity, creativity. His name is Nir Bashan. Uh, mm-hmm. and I just spoke with him yesterday. So it's top of mind for me or the other yeah. day. Um, but he, uh, he, his, he had an unpopular opinion that everyone, his unpopular opinion is that everyone's creative. And I, and I don't think it's an unpopular opinion because I do, I do believe everyone is creative. It's just that some people are not conventionally creative with a brush or a paintbrush, but everyone can be creative. And so I think a lot of roadblocks happen, right? Like when people are like, oh, I'm so bored. I don't know what to do. And then like, there's that paralysis of like not being able to start a project or do something. And I believe we just live in this golden age where there's YouTube for everything. And like kids these days will never know what it's like to have to like look in an encyclopedia of Britannica and find something, you know, like we have, we're so go to a video store. Yeah, we're so, yeah, exactly. I am always so happy just having, like, you know, we would want to like, my wife and I always like concerts. We used to go to a lot of music concerts. We still try to, but obviously can't do anything else. But we have access, like if I want to pull up Wednesday Campanella, who's sort of like a Japanese variation of Bjork, playing in Tokyo in 2016, I just have to click a few buttons to watch it. Yeah. And that, I am always trying to remind myself how much of a miracle that is. Yeah. I was very lucky. I grew up, I grew up in a, like a little farm town called Mokina, Illinois, south of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because we, we were very lucky. We had this video store. And I was like, oh, you have a video store. I mean, we're very lucky. I mean, we weren't that far removed from Chicago, but we had a video store. But the guys who ran it made a business decision that we want to be the best video store around. So we're just going to have every possible video available. Like, we're just going to buy it. If it's out, we're going to buy it. They're actually still in business, actually. They almost went out of business, and there was this whole, like, yeah, the whole community rallied to keep them in business. They had stuff that you couldn't even find on YouTube when it was first starting out. That's how good they were. Um, But it wasn't really because they felt like, it's funny because this is small town Chicago, south side Chicago. It wasn't a creative decision. It was just more of a business decision. People go to us because we have everything. Well, in the early 90s, I had access to anime and foreign films, stuff that, quite honestly, just your blockbuster video didn't carry. They wouldn't think of carrying it, right? And that gave me such a competitive advantage at such a young age to be able to watch Akira in 1993, to be able to see the Three Colors trilogy in 1995, 1996. And now you click a button and you can have access to it. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing. I'm not one of those people who likes to shame, oh, your kids have it too easy. No, trust me, life will always find a way to make things hard on you. If 2020 hasn't proven that to you, <laughs> then you gotta, you gotta take a hard look in the mirror. <laughs> You're really, really crotchety. So yeah, I, I think that, but I think that it's, it's important to respect it because it, it's very, it, we've unleashed this wonderful power to have access to just more, the more creative content that was ever available anybody in history of ever. And if you're feeling bored right now, I tell you, just we should post a bunch of stuff to check this out, check this out, check this out. <laughs> you won't be bored. You just gotta, you just gotta you go past your programming and find something that interests you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and I feel like we've kind of touched on the topic of imposter syndrome and a little bit, but um, I definitely like kind of uh, would like to have kind of your perspective on like what imposter syndrome like means to you and like, do you feel like you fit in or suffer from it? And in what ways? Well, you know, as an artist, I think you always suffer from that in a certain respect. I mean, 
in technically imposter syndrome is always feeling like it kind of like, you know, you're going to get kicked out of the, kicked out of the, kicked off the Island or that people are going to see you as a fraud or a fake, or that you always feel like an outsider, you know, even the greatest artists will tell you that they, they don't like their own work a lot of times. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Or you'll paint something and you think it's great in five years down the road. And you're like, what was I thinking? This is crap. Like you always feel like an imposter. And also too, I think partially because when you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, food, clothing, and shelter, all those bottom runs. Like if the bombs started dropping tomorrow, I'd probably be completely useless to, <laughs> to, to the world around me. Uh, my skill set is in creation and, and doing other things. And especially growing up in the Midwest too, you're always sort of reminded as to, you know, yeah, you're, it's not a real job. It's not as bad as it was, but you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, like art wasn't a real job. That was something you did on the side. I was very fortunate to have parents that didn't feel that way and always encouraged me to be an artist and to do what I wanted to do. Um, but that was the, the exception, not the norm. So you always spend a lot of your time apologizing for yourself, when, especially when you're young. And especially when you're young as an artist, because nobody mm -hmm. takes you seriously. Nobody. You have to kind of get kicked around for 15 years and you're like, oh, you're still around? Okay, you're good. <laughs> it's kind of like that. It's, and it's, it's sad, it, but it's just the way it is. I think a lot of this has to do with cognitively how we, we assess value. Um, art is a slow burn. You, you're into sports, you know by the end of the game who was the better team or who had the better luck, depending on your viewpoint. Um, a movie, a piece of art, a, a piece of music, it's incalculable how much that adds to gro you know, gross national product, how much it adds to a, a culture or a society. Unless, of course, you're looking back historically and you realize, well, how we know about historical civilizations yeah. is really by their artwork. Yes, That's yes, it. thank yeah. you. <laughs> so there, yeah, so it is, Really, it's a long time to realize its significance. So as an artist, I totally get why it gets frustrating. So you always kind of feel like an imposter because when you're doing art, you, you either find yourself apologizing it to your artist if you're in the wrong crowd, or you are in the good crowd and you have a good life and people really like your work, but you never really feel like you're good enough and you gotta do more and you gotta always be pushing yourself. And so, yeah, it, it's sort of like imposter syndrome on heroin uh, in some cases. But yeah. once again, the old saying goes, you know, the the more you know what you want, the less things bother you. And the yeah. more you do art, the less you do start to feel at least comfortable. Like, you know, I, I can hold my own. I'm not, am I the greatest artist or the worst artist? I don't know. You don't even care anymore. But you know you're not a schmuck. You know you're not, you're not crap. And you let everyone else decide for you if you're good or not. And you don't leave mine because you just do love doing it so much and you've done it for so many years you put in your ten thousand hours so now you're professional no one can take that away from you and you achieve a level of comfort and i think that's really the critical thing yeah. if you're into the arts right now and you don't have that level of comfort just keep working at it you'll get there yeah. it's just once again like everything it takes time yeah i've interviewed a lot of really interesting people in different creative facets. Um, you kind of reminded me of an interview I'd had. His name is Carl Dunn. He used to work at, I want to say, it was, some, it was some advertising agency my sister used to work at. But I, he yeah. found me through my friend, John Zyker, who I interviewed, who was in television and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Carl used to be a creative director at an, uh, an advertising, a couple of different advertising agencies. And he's now doing freelance. He lives in Berlin. He's a wonderful man. He wrote a book called nice. My Gay Divorce. It's lovely. But um, he said that the biggest 
the thing that he found so sad was that he'd have these brilliant creatives that would work for him and he could tell that they were only there for the paycheck and that this wasn't really what they wanted to do. And that it, he felt like it almost killed their creativity having to like put a mustache on that photo or edit, you know, like edit out something that you were stifled in this box. And I, and I, and I always think about that because I, I remember like even in my days working with agencies and working with agencies and my creative teams that they would be so brilliantly talented and they'd be doing side things that were just so cool. And then they were making like a poster about like washing your hands. <laughs> Right, you know, and I totally get that. It's like, and it's funny because like I, right now currently I'm an art director for an IT firm called Aptude here in the Chicago area, but we're, we're international. And it's funny because as, once again, as the career, as your career keeps going on, when you're younger, yeah, and you're in your 20s, you, you get your degree, then you're like, oh, I, I'm, screw this, I don't want to do this. And then you read your ad busters and then you decide you're going to be like against the man or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of go through that phase for a couple of years. And then you realize, no, there's, you start to kind of understand the realities of life. And you start to, if you're smart, you start to accumulate and you start to study and you start to research and you realize that Jim Henson, before he was doing Sesame Street and all these wonderful things that we know uh, with the Muppets, he was doing commercials in the 60s. You know, know Andy Warhol was doing commercial art. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, no, mo even like Michelangelo, that was kind of, that was kind of like advertising, really. It, it, it's, yeah. it's a beautiful art, but really that was advertising, you know? And so you start to, you start to realize, oh, this is sort of necessary. And then you, if, you, if you are enlightened enough, you realize, well, it's okay because the challenge is, is that they're gonna give me some parameters to work with, but I'm gonna try to push those parameters as far as I can to come up with the best possible image or the best possible message. The key to it is one is you got to work for companies that you feel like, okay, this is a good company to work for. I mean, you have to, you have to have skin in the game. You got to feel like it's worth it to you. Mm -hmm. If you, that, that's any job, anytime, anywhere. If you don't like the company you're working for, forget it. You know, you're not going to produce good work. It's going to be a miserable experience, especially if you're in the arts, especially if you're in creative, that, that goes double for that. And then the other thing is that once you, once you've been in the game a little bit, and people start to trust your instincts. People start to go to you because they like your style, they like what you bring to the table. Well, now all of a sudden, you're putting more and more of yourself into the design work that you're doing. And you start to realize that at some point in your career, people are going to you because of who you are. And now you almost have complete control. It literally, like the whole thing flips. And so, if you're in that situation where you're like, why am I doing design work? And trust me, we all go through it. Clients will drive you crazy. Yeah. Bosses will drive you crazy. We all know it. You just have to try to be patient and accept the challenge and mm -hmm. say, okay, this is, these are the restrictions. This is what's been put on me. But what can I do to make this better with the restrictions that I have? And ironically speaking, you get really good at that and you find that your art gets better. Yeah. Because you start, to put, you start putting mental restrictions on yourself. So many people, when you're younger, it's like you go through that problem, you look at a blank canvas, you're like, what the hell am I going to do? I don't know where to start. You don't have that problem anymore at some point. You always know what you're going to do in some respect. It's such a wonderful, freeing feeling. So, <laughs> that's, so I'm hoping this words of encouragement for people who are in the arts. Yeah. You know, they, and they're getting there. 
that they're, they're trying to get to that professional point. Like, I, I got to be pro. I got I to gotta do this. That if you don't have it now, you're going to have it eventually. Just keep working at it. Yeah, I think that's great advice for any of my listeners that are uh, currently feeling stifled in their creativity or are a creative themselves at an agency and are like, I want to jump off a building. <laughs> uh, I think that's awesome. Uh, and you kind of touched on it, so we'll just move into it. But I love to ask this question because I, I feel like everyone has a different answer for kind of what success looks like to them. So what does success look like to you and do you feel successful? Oh, like well, right now? <laughs> sure. No, I mean, honestly, it's funny because if you would ask me years ago what my definition of success was, especially when you're, when you're a young man, it's like always becomes more career centric, you know. And the thing is about careers is that it doesn't matter like how successful you are. You always, you always feel a little inadequate because there's always the next rung, especially in creative. You know, you're only as good as your last hit. You know, even if you do make it on top of the art world or the filmmaking world or whatnot, you, you'll reach that, you'll reach that uh, apex mountain. You'll reach, the, you'll reach the top. But then you won't. That's it. And so as you get older, you realize, well, it, it's, once again, the old cliches. Well, you know what? Like, I like my life. Like, I like just, you know, where I live. Uh, I've been married, you know, like been with the same girl for 20 years. <laughs> uh, my landlord's cool. You know, that kind of thing. Like, and I, we live in a great spot and our life is good. We don't have to worry so much about rent right now. Those little things become everything. We don't have kids. So a lot of people will always put it to their kids. So I don't mention kids because I don't have kids. I have two dogs and they're awesome. So I can mention that. <laughs> I'm a but really I'm just no being able person. to live comfortably <laughs> Yeah. And also too, just not to have that, you know, the, the sort of, you know, if you're living your life without tragedy currently, which all mm -hmm. of us are experiencing some mm -hmm. tragedy, tragedy or another right now, it, it, even if it's a minor in, in a minor form or just a general anxiety, you know, it was funny because Dan and I, when we, we got engaged and then my brother needed a heart transplant. He got sick. He had a viral infection that went into his heart. And this was back in 2001. Wow. And I remember Jamie's grandmother who she lived with them she she got sick she she got very sick that year so we spent a lot of 2001 in hospitals and that and then september 11th happened yeah and then it was sad because jamie's grandmother had a brother who died at pearl harbor oh. and it bothered her because she knew that she wasn't going to live to see how all this turned out she oh. she knew like she she was she was on her way out and She's like, man, I, she thought she was looking at me like I'm about to be drafted and go to war. You know, that's because that's what she knew. That's how it played out in World War II. Mm -hmm. And then my dad, who was a psychologist for the state, they were trying to send him to New York to help people, but he couldn't because my brother was awaiting a heart and you just never know if he was going to make it one day to the next. And of course, for my dad, it was a no brainer. He's like, I got to stay with my son, you know. And so we obviously put off the wedding for a couple of years <laughs> because there was a lot to deal with. And it's funny because just having that, and, and in the end, all, all I was, I was like one of the angels in the movie Wings of Desire, Angels Over Berlin, 1987, mm -hmm. Wim Wenders, just kind of standing and observing everything. I mean, there really wasn't much I could do other than just, you know, keep my job, stay afloat, you know, don't be a burden to anybody. And then obviously things played out. My brother got the heart transplant. He's still alive. He's doing great. And, and, and then Jamie's grandmother had passed. Um, and then, but we, it was very, it was very peaceful. The whole family came in. So everything played out as good as you could possibly imagine in that sense. But having that experience, going through certain trauma, 
you know, when things get bad again, as they do, because that's life, uh, I guess you sort of learn, well, you know, we got through that. We can get through mm-hmm. this too. Mm-hmm. There's something about just experiencing it and living through it. You're like, oh, we can deal with this. We got this. And so in terms of like, when you ask about success, um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. If well, you're happy, you're yeah. successful. That is how I feel. I feel well, that, that, you know, there's yeah, certain, yeah. there's certain statistics to it, right? Yeah, for success with like being happy, I think that that is a huge thing. Um, I love your examples. I love hearing, I always love hearing, I mean, not that I love September 11th, don't get me wrong. I love hearing people's, what they did at the time, because I was in seventh grade. So I'm, I'm 31 now. I remember that it, my mom was just glued to the TV when I got home, and, and we didn't know what was going to happen, similar to you. I mean, even I was, what, like 12 or 13, however old. Seventh grade is I was driving my way to work actually. Okay. I was one of my first jobs out of college. I was on my way to work and I'm listening to the news and it just kept getting progressively worse. Right. And uh, right. yeah. Yeah. And I don't think anyone did. Yeah. And and oh, it's sorry, funny. No, I was gonna say. Yeah, no. It's funny because you know, it's just like I, I guess like one thing I want to like relate to my listeners is like everyone's going through this pandemic differently, but we're all going through it. Like it's a global thing. Um, but 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 yeah. like as a spouse with someone in the navy like and him being gone a lot like my experience is much different than a lot of other people's um and same as you and your yeah. wife like we we're not we're children we're child free double income no kids although right now i don't have an income um, but we're we're yeah. uh, we have a we have an awesome cavalier king charles spaniel and my husband's already been like when are we getting another one so um so like it's different and then i'm like i've got some friends that like i it's funny that i like see like a lot of my friends just seem so like unhappy with their kids right now and i'm just like man i just feel so glad i don't have to do all that right now just have to say yeah my wife posted something like that today you know but you know it's funny getting back to this a little bit we talk about it like that night i remember i was with my wife because I think her grandmother was kind of having a bad day that day. Anyway, regardless, I think she was, I mean, it, it, she was going through her PA, you know, post-traumatic stress because of Pearl Harbor and my brother was doing okay. So I ended up kind of staying, you know, I was hanging out with my wife and I called my dad and, you know, cause he always talked to your family. He's like, Oh, this is, seems out of control. And my dad's like, it's already out of control. This is crazy. And he said, but you know what you can do? Cause he could tell I was kind of anxious. He said, just look up for a moment. And I did. It was the night sky, night sky over Chicago. He said, "There's no planes in the sky because you know, as you know, they grounded the planes. Mm-hmm. For the listeners who are really young, we forget there are people who are like 14, 15 that this is this is kind of a a strange world to them. Mm-hmm. They weren't around. I always have to remember there are young people who don't remember like what this felt like. No, and it's, people it's such are born a, now that have not experienced it, and it blows right. my mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, but he said, look up, the sky is empty.' And I remember thinking, just, just nobody has seen this in like 40, 50 years." no planes in the sky. There's always a plane in the sky when you look up and nobody has seen that. And he's, and just from that little bit of insight, it's like I calmed down, but I realized, oh, this is, even during all this, this, this crazy, everything was just seemed to be going spiraling out of control. There was just some insight, some little gem, some little notion that was able to crack through all that anxiety. It's just an observation. It's just something, just a little, like, a, I don't know the best way to put it is just that little, just that, that little bit, that little crack in the dam, so to speak, of anxiety. 
that said, you know what, you're seeing something that hasn't been seen in 50 years. Just appreciate that for the moment, just for what it is. Not that it's good or bad, just for what it is. Yeah. I think yeah. that's great advice. I love I that. I should turn that into a painting. And a painting you should. Sold right away. I, so. I did. I already did. It sold. <laughs> oh, you did? It sold oh, it years sold. ago. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, another one. So uh, we're kind of like nearing towards the end of the conversation, but I always love oh to my give, gosh. I always love to give my guests the opportunity to promote whatever they'd like. And you wrote a book. So I'd love for you to share your book and all about it, where people can purchase it, et cetera. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, Russell Smith and I, when I lived out in Seattle, uh, this was years ago. My wife and I lived there from 2007 to 2012. Uh, I met this guy. He's a writer. He, he's uh, about 15 years my senior. Great, great guy. And we started writing for the Huffington Post in psychology today. And then sometime around last year, we're like, hey, we should probably put this, all this into a book. And so we did. And the book is Manifestos, uh, Reinventions and Declarations. It's on Amazon. It's an Amazon exclusive. So you got to go through the you got to go through the 200 pound gorilla to get it right now. Um, but it's basically, it's, it's a, how else to describe it? It started as a way to, to um, assemble all of our articles that we had written over the years. But what we started to realize is that a lot of those articles were more true in 2020 than they were even in 2012, 2013. We talked a lot about technology. We had talked a lot about um, where the world was going and mm -hmm. what, issues we might be encountering. And then we're realizing these issues are starting to play out now. This is actually <laughs> starting to happen. You know, the fact, the old the adage of the internet is written in ink. You know, I used to always tell people, don't put anything on yeah. the internet that you wouldn't tell your grandma. You know, that, that's, <laughs> that was my litmus test. And obviously now, I mean, we look, at, we look at what's happened with cancel culture and everything like that. You can see like, okay, we, we mm -hmm. saw that. And that was just one of many things that we were witnessing. And we said, well, is there a way we can put this into a book that does two things? One, that it energizes people to realize that you're not alone in this. You're not the only one feeling, you know, um, alienated, upset. That this could be a book that can kind of help inspire and motivate. We hope that it kind of puts you into a flow state. You're reading it. You come up with a bunch of ideas and then you, you, you put the book down and you go do something. Uh, we had that in mind because uh, Russell's also a collage artist. So we said, if this book can motivate you to go do something, then that it does its job. And the idea was to take a lot of those articles, we, we really condensed them into something that felt kind of like 21st century beatnikish. <laughs> and so it has, it has a kind of a fun vibe to it. It's not just stiff, boring reading. We want it to be readable. We want it to be something that, that felt good and felt inspirational. I remember when I was in college back in 1996, I picked up a copy of The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. And it, I never even heard of Alan Watts. I never even knew, I didn't even know what the thing was about. And I don't even think it was even in the right section of the borders. That's how old I am. It wasn't even a Barnes and Noble. It was a Borders bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked the title. I thought this is interesting. And I picked it up. It was like, it was like only like 10 bucks. And I picked it up and I read it. I'm like, this is great. And it introduced me to a whole world of philosophy, a whole world of ideas that I just didn't have access to. And I said, well, if we can write something that even just does that for a few people, that opens them up into a world of philosophy and ideas, then that would be great. And so that, that in the end, is what, what the book really is about. It's about, we, we call it that we're living in the new now. We don't call it the new normal, because sometimes normalization is a bad thing. Sometimes if you want it, everyone's always like, we got to get to the new normal, get to the new normal. Well, I don't know. We're already sometimes, there. <laughs> well, sometimes normal isn't good, right? Yeah. Like if you look at all the things that are happening now and now what we just accept as normal that would never have been accepted as normal 20, 30 years ago. Like, okay, so we can't call it that. And yeah. plus too, quite honestly, the situation is so fluid. Um, mm -hmm. New now seemed to be the term to use. This is yeah. about the new now. 
This is what's happening now. And it's always changing. We knew that too, because we were writing the book and we were doing, we were finishing up the book in May of 2020. And you know, in May, from May to June, it seemed like it was a whole new world every day. Mm -hmm. Things got very crazy. That's when the protest started. That's when, that's when, you know, people got out and they were going to, they just had enough. And they, and they were going to say what was on their mind. And we were watching it. It was in, inspirational, a little spooky. It was, it was just, it was everything. You can put every adjective to it. And, and it was just, it was awe-inspiring. And, and then besides the fact that we realized, oh, we got to put this book out because this could be really important for people <laughs> because this is kind of about this. But it was also, we could never finish the book. It was very hard to finish it because something new would happen. It was like, well, we got to cut that chapter out or we got to cut that paragraph out because that's no longer relevant. Mm -hmm. And we were finally able to get it into a, a place where we felt comfortable to say, okay, everybody take a look and, and see what, and see if this helps at least in some small way, put what's happening now in perspective and give people a little bit of solace, a little bit of comfort and hopefully inspire you to go out and change yourself, change the world, change whatever you got, what needs changing. And that's really in the end, that's what the book is. So it's a bunch, yeah. So it literally is. It's manifestos, declarations, reinventions. It really is. It's it's a, a collection of essays that that basically approach that topic from a, a different angles, different lenses. Yeah, I love it. Um, it was a. Uh, I, I did read a little bit of the, the the stuff that you sent me, and I and I liked it. I like I liked it. it has a kind of like a fun tone. Um, you know, regardless of whatever this new now is. <laughs> well, you but have to, well, great. that's just it. It, it. We couldn't write anything dry. I yeah. think there's plenty of wonderful, well-written stuff that's, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderfully written. It's, it's carefully, you know, that ours wasn't carefully thought up. Everything we wrote was based upon facts, was based upon things that we were discovering. So it wasn't just, you know, we weren't doing like the book of the subgenius, like the Church of Bob, where we're just making stuff up. It wasn't nothing like that at all. This was all based upon, you know, a lot of vetted research, what we were writing about. Um, but in the end, to be able to put it, to make it readable, which is funny, because I think in this analytical age, we sort of forget that in the end, if it could be the most wonderful, written, well-written, well-researched thing in the world, but if it's boring, no one's going to want to read it. <laughs> so we wanted to make it at least, at least feel uh, that you can connect with the material. But I think yeah. that's the artist in us anyway. I mean, that's what we do. I love that. Yeah. So to my listeners, of course, all of that will be in the description so that you can connect with Michael uh, after this and check out some of his awesome artwork and all of that. And to Michael, I really appreciate it. Thank you for actually interviewing with me. We kind of had a miscommunication. You thought, no, I was it's totally cool. <laughs> I just wanted to be ready for it because I didn't want to come oh, across like some goof. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to say, I'm going to get canceled by cancel culture. I got to be careful. <laughs> No, no, you're all good. I, I really appreciate it. And I uh, hope that you enjoy the rest of your day with weekend with your wife, Jay, and your two dogs. And thank you so much again. And to my listeners, this is, of course, Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. Uh, please like, subscribe, share, scream into the ether. I don't care. Just continue to spread the word. Your support means the world. Thank you so much. And thank you to Michael.
Hey listeners, I wanted to share a special promotion for you from Dash of Pep. Dash of Pep is a clothing boutique that offers non-binary clothing that has fun prints that support mental health and empowering you to be your best self. In this pandemic, it is great to shop small and support small businesses like Dash of Pep. More than 50% of my wardrobe is from her adorable store. Robin at Dash of Pep has graciously given me a promo code for you to use at checkout. Use P-D-K-M-O to receive 15% off your order. Again, that is www.dash of pep.com and you can enter pdkmo at checkout to receive 15% off your order. This has been Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, like, comment, share, tell a friend. You know, that's how I'm going to keep these stories and going. Also, if you want to be a podcast guest, you can reach out to me at pdkmopodcast at gmail.com and we can get it set up. Thanks everyone for your continued support. And I look forward to, you know, connecting with you again next Monday.